Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I believe the year was 1974. It might have been 75. I sat third row from the front at Stoughton Baptist Church, Stoughton, Wisconsin. Pastor was Pastor George Cable. The sermon had not been preached, but the offering was about to be taken. And I sat there in the front row or the third row. I was the first the person closest to the front. And so I knew the offering plate was going to come to me to my dismay because as the person was praying for the offering, the Lord said, give. And I'd already given my tithe and I loved to give, so it wasn't a problem. I pulled out my wallet and whatever was in my wallet is all that I had. <clears throat> I was hoping for two or three $1 bills and maybe a five, but it was one $10 bill and that was it. That's all I had. Not talking about a savings account as in college, everything I just, I paid every dime I could on my college bill. I didn't want to graduate with debt. And whether you believe this could be true or not, as they were praying, I'm thinking, could I possibly take change back out of the offering if I put the $10 in? <laughs> I'd actually seen that happen in Sunday school class when I was a teenager. A kid was waving around a $5 bill, showing off how much he was going to give back when a dollar was a huge offering. And most of us were putting in quarters or maybe a dollar. He probably got it from his parents, and I'm sure they don't know what he did, but he put the $5 bill in and took four ones out. So in those few seconds that the prayer is being offered, I'm thinking, can I take some money back out? But of course, there was no money in there to take out, and I obeyed, and I gave $10. <laughs> and to my amazement, I left church that night with 11 Happened to be the weekend of my birthday. That church has never, had never remembered my birthday before and has never remembered it since. <laughs> Which makes the story all the more amazing because I uh, got a card with a $5 bill in it, which was a huge gift in a birthday card. One card with $3 and three cards with $1. I walked out with $11 and this thought hit me. Like a ton of bricks, God tithes on your gift. Now I tell that story for a reason which you might suspect. I want to look at Gideon tonight because much like Pastor Van Gelderen's message Monday morning, how did Gideon go from saying my family is the least? They're poor. And I'm the youngest in my father's house. I'm certainly no man of valor. How did he go from that? To say unto 300 men with a trumpet in their hand, a sword at their side, an empty pitcher with a lantern inside of it. And say to those guys, come on boys, we're going to go get those 135,000 Midianites. What happened in his life? Because the focus this evening is really the same as it was this morning. But I want us to understand that if we do not obey God in the littlest details, we will never know him. And God took Gideon on a journey in Judges chapter 6 and 7. I've preached from this passage from so many different angles and so many different ways. And every time I open my Bible to it and look at it again, I see something else. But I've never preached from this perspective tonight. Gideon came to know God. 
And there's a specific reason he did. And knowing God was to do what was absolutely impossible and get it done successfully. Father, would you help us? Help me to be good steward of the time that you've given us and help me to say what needs to be said and just leave the rest out. Your people are already prepared to respond. And we do, we do want to know you. And we get so casual about the little things in life that sometimes we don't even notice what you're doing. And somehow in the ways you move, we don't sometimes realize it's you. Help us to get it tonight. Lord, please help us to get it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This story begins, as you well know, in Judges chapter 6 with God giving us an introduction to the condition of Israel because of the Midianites filling the land. And the Bible tells us in verse 7 that they entered into the land to destroy it. It's an important truth to understand. They were impoverished. The angel appears to Gideon as he's there by the wine press seeking to just thresh some wheat for his family. Calls him a mighty man of valor and in the midst of all that, he says you're going to destroy the Midianites as one man. And Gideon says, how could that possibly be? And in asking that question, he said, if God is with us, if the Lord is with us, why then all this befallen us and where be all his miracles, which our father told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon had heard about God, but he was saying, I haven't really seen him. I thought I was going to preach from Job 42, where Job said, you know, I've heard about God, but now I've seen him with my eyes and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I believe it'd be God's desire tonight that we repent in sackcloth and ashes. That we recognize for so many that we've seen, but we've, or we've heard, but we've not seen. I remember distinctly, it was probably the year 2000, 2001. I was preaching from the book of Exodus. It just happened I preached on that same passage this past Sunday. And I remembered a time when I stood in front of the church having preached on that passage and the glory of the Lord showed up to fill the tabernacle. I was so overwhelmed that Sunday morning in our old auditorium, wondering if our young people would be a generation that had heard about God but had never seen him. And I became so burdened for our young people to know God, not just hear about him, but to know him. God sent a tornado. And we begin to know about God. We built an auditorium and four years later that auditorium had seven feet of water in it. We began to know about God. One of the most precious memories I'll ever have of ministry anywhere is our children, our little children. With their Bibles open and kneeling on the floor of our lower level, not only in the auditorium but the older part of the building, kneeling on the floors and writing scriptures claiming God's promises. 
The metal studs that were now bare because we had to strip the old drywall off and start all over and writing on those metal studs promises of God and passages of scripture and scripture references. Brother Jim Apple came down just recently and tore up the carpet off the teen room and there were the verses. I'm saying, do you know God? Or have you just heard about him? As we begin this story, we find that this angel comes. I do not believe that Gideon knew it was an angel of the Lord. And I've read on this and the language seems to indicate, as he said, would you tarry here until I come again? I want to know if I'm dreaming or if the person talking to me is real. Many people take that angle, not everybody. Regardless of whatever it was, I do not believe that Gideon knew it was an angel of God, but had a suspicion it was a significant messenger. But without any command, without any instruction, he goes and he prepares. Now, you pay attention. Israel is impoverished. What he prepares for this messenger is a sacrifice. And it is willing and it is spontaneous. And he brings it well presented and places it before this angel. And the angel says, put it on the rock. And if you miss this point of the message, you miss a lot of what you need to get. Many of us never get on the journey to know God because we will never do anything that we're asked to do. Much less spontaneously because we want to. I don't want to get on my hobby horse, but it is very wearisome as a pastor to ask people to go on visitation. They say, preacher, I'd love to, but I just don't have the... Love to have you give to the building program. We're entering into another one. I thought I was old enough to be beyond that. But here we go again. Man, I'd love to preach, but I just don't have the money. We don't have the talent, we don't have the money, we don't have the time, and we don't know our God. This happened a few years ago now, but I got a call on a Wednesday afternoon, and it had been a busy week, and I was just sitting down at my desk to put together a message for Wednesday night. Got a call from a family who didn't attend our church, but their child was in our school, and they said, We've got a serious situation. My grandpa's going to pass away. We'd like you to come. Now, I don't like to be interrupted in my schedule. And God said, you need to go. I said, but I need to preach, too. You need to go. And what I'm saying here is so important because we as Christians miss knowing God because of this very thing. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. We don't have the talent. We don't have the money. Neither did Gideon. Don't you miss it. This was a huge sacrifice to be hospitable to somebody he didn't know. And many think he didn't even know if he came back, if he'd find anything there, if it was just some kind of a vision that he had. I went and I ministered, and by whatever grace of God, I was 
comfortable. I relaxed. I spent time with the family. I went in the waiting room where they were. I went in with the one that was near death, came back and talked to him some more, prayed with him. And then I got in the car to go back to church, called my wife and said, I'm not going to be home for supper. And God, in an instant, and you preachers know what this is like. In an instant, he gave me a three-point message, the passage. I don't remember if he gave me a poem or not. (laughs) I went back to my office, typed as fast as I could, walked into the auditorium and preached one of the best best messages I've ever preached. Nobody told me that. That's my evaluation. (laughs) But it was good, and it was from God. Now, some of you preachers, you may do that by habit on a regular basis. I don't recommend that, but when... You give your time to God, God makes it up. And I wish that God's people would know that if they would go on visitation, if they'd come to the prayer meeting, if they would give a little bit extra, God is able to make it up and you begin to know something about your God. Pay attention, he gave this sacrifice and the angel says, put it on the rock, you're going to have me do what? I just made a big, big, big sacrifice. I even put it in a basket for you. Put it on the rock and poof. And in that moment, he knew that God was powerful and he knew that God was present. Oh my, just because he was hospitable. And in that moment of knowing God's power and God's presence, he fears and God says, I didn't reveal myself to you. Verse 22, he says, I've seen the Lord face to face. I'm in trouble. And God said, I didn't reveal myself to you to destroy you. I revealed myself to you to use you. Teenagers, are you listening? College students, are you listening? God wants us to be willing to sacrifice and be willing to be used in the most inconvenient of circumstances so that he can reveal himself in his power and his presence so that he can use us. That having taken place, he builds an altar and properly reverences God. And we'll skip over that. But then he says to Gideon, he says, I want you to deal with something in your father's house. And so we go through this journey with Gideon. Having simply, willingly offered his time and his possessions to God. Technically to just another person not knowing it was God. God now speaks to him. There are people here tonight that would have to admit that God hasn't really spoken to you that much in your lifetime. Start serving him. He will. God begins to speak to him and he says something very specific. Go to your father's house and destroy the gods there. And I'm saying to every college student here, you can still properly respect your parents and not serve their gods. And good Christian homes have gods. I was raised by parents who were faithful. They had me in church every service. Gave to the pastor and his family a quarter of beef when they would butcher something. And first of the vegetables out of the garden, they were faithful to God. But they had gods in their house. Some of those it took me years to identify. 
And my kids could identify gods in my house that they don't need in their lives. And I'm saying to you young people, and I'm saying to you even as adults, if you have things in your life you're still doing because your parents did them, get rid of them. Did you know some good Christian families put vacation before God? Both in their finances and their time. I see people that travel on Sunday because the only thing they'd be doing is going to church anyway. I'm not going to go through all the possibilities of the gods that might be in our homes because of what we saw our parents do. But I'm saying to us this evening that we better recognize those gods because they're hindering us. I think Gideon's daddy knew that it was a problem, but he just hadn't removed him. Gideon did. And he learned something that night that he didn't know about God. They got up the next morning and men of the city saw what had happened and they said to Joe, or Gideon's dad, he said, you better kill Gideon. And Gideon's dad said the right thing. You know, if Baal's such a big shot, let him take care of himself. But in that moment, because they intended to kill him, you mark it down. He knew God's protection. We need to know that God can take care of us. One of the things I love about this college is there are young people here that understand they may die for Jesus. And they're still willing to go. There are no closed fields when there's no bars hold. Go where God wants us to do, do what God wants us to do until he sees fit that our life be done. So Gideon now has known because of a willing sacrificial gift to a stranger. He has known the presence of God. He's known the power of God. And God says, I'm not going to destroy you. He's learned about the peace of God. And now he knows the protection of God. And do not miss it. Now the spirit of God moves in his heart. And again, I would say to some of us that we probably have not sensed really the spirit of God prompting us to do something. And when he does, we often ignore him. Hand a track to them. What for? They're not going to be interested anyway. I'm not the greatest at this, but God has made me a whole lot better than I used to be. I find myself talking about God just because I'm excited about him. And I think that's the way it ought to be. I'm going through procedures last, <laughs> last Tuesday not to be uttered in public. And one of the people is there taking care of me and a lot of them know that I'm a pastor because my email address begins with pastor, and so that does help. <laughs> but in this case, I just mentioned, I don't know what the conversation was, something I said, well, I'm a pastor and blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, wow. She said, I want you to know in 2002 at, or 2004 at the age of 22, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not turning back. Amen. And in the midst of the unpleasantness, we're talking about Jesus. That's okay, okay? <laughs> It's not a story where somebody got saved, but it was pretty good fellowship. 
I'm saying we just don't sense the prompting of the Spirit of God so often. He blows the trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he blew the trumpet. He knew what it meant. And so do you know what it means when the Spirit of God moves upon your life to do something and you don't know it? You don't, you do, you don't do it because you're afraid. Somebody might not be happy that you talked to them about Jesus. Somebody might not be happy that you spoke up at your place of employment. Children and young people, your friends might not be happy because you confronted them with the language that they used or the conversation that they were having. Let them not be happy. Let the Spirit of God move upon you and respond to Him. Amen. And in that moment, as Gideon blew the trumpet and 32,000 men responded, he knew the potential. He knew the potential that he had if he would just obey the Spirit of God. Now Gideon, I believe, transitions into something that's very significant for all of us because as a pastor in the years that I've pastored, I believe one of the primary causes of lethargy in the church and apathy is we have churches full of people that have never figured out what God really wants for them. Their talent and their abilities have satisfied them and they're satisfied to do what they're good at doing without ever finding out what God really wants for them. And I'm challenging you tonight. College student, child, teen, adult. If you've never gotten before God and said, okay, God, I can see you're moving. I, I, I sense your presence and I sense your power and I've experienced your peace and I've seen your protection. And I've sensed the spirit of God on my life. I've got to know. I've got to know if I'm going to serve you that you're with me. Lord, I need to know for sure. If thou will save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, I've got to know it. That offering that I gave that night was right in the middle of God dealing with me about surrender, which I had done as a sophomore in college. Now I was a junior and he was wrestling with me about being a missionary. And as weird as it is, I was kind of excited about the idea of being a missionary, but I could not handle the idea of going to churches and asking them for money. And I had just recently surrendered that to God. And he said, put some money in the offering plate. And it confirmed in my mind that God was big enough to take care of me. He's big enough to provide my needs. And you would not believe how many times I've gone back in my mind to that point when I was wondering if God still remembered my address and was aware of what I needed. He's been faithful. I plead with you. If what you're doing is your plan, but you don't know it's God's plan. What you're doing is because of your skill set, but you don't know that it's God's purpose. Get before him. 
I never really understood the fleece until I got a hold of this. Gideon just had to know, God, I'm doing what you want me to do. And if you want to know that you're doing what God wants you to do, he has a way of making that clear to you. Lord, let the ground be dry and the fleece wet. Well, maybe that was such a good idea. There's a certain amount of moisture in the air. Let the ground be soaked and the fleece dry. And God did so. And he knew. Now perhaps the biggest challenge Gideon is going to face, those 32,000 men God says, I can't have 32,000 people going up against 135,000. My mind is like, it's four and a half to one if you do the math. No, it's not right. 13 and a half to one, maybe. Never mind, I did the math and I forgot. Four and a half to one, isn't it? Thank you. Brother Stedman, you're a good mathematician, so yeah, thank you. But God said, I, I can't have it. It's too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. Please hear what I'm saying. If you as God's child... Learning to surrender to him and learning to serve others and learning to give your time and learning to sacrifice your finances and learning to uh, honor him with your abilities. And you begin to experience the presence of God and the power of God and the peace of God. And, and you know the protection of God and you understand the moving of the spirit of God upon your life. And you begin to see your potential. Knowing that you're in the will of God, you're doing the plan of God, you're going to think that somehow it had something to do with you. Keep this short because it's embarrassing, but I've always been an aspiring evangelist, and I think someday the Lord will get me there. But I just graduated from college. I just entered full-time ministry. I got an invitation to Arkansas to preach a week of meetings. Had two messages, so I had to work on some things. <laughs> Went down there and preached Thursday night. Started on Sunday and preached on Thursday night. Preached a basic message on surrender. Church probably had two to three hundred in it. Biggest church I'd ever been in. Gave the invitation that Thursday night and everybody came forward. Except one lady with a child sleeping in her lap. And the wickedness of our hearts. Even in the midst of wanting to know. God. And wanting to be used by God, I thought, Billy Graham, God has finally found your replacement. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're laughing. It's not funny. You be careful. You be careful. Jesus Christ died and he descended to the lowest parts of the earth and King Jesus came back victorious leading the souls of paradise and giving gifts to men. And he walked into heaven, the angels looking on, desiring to look into these things that have happened. And he reaches into his royal garments, which he has just put back on. And he pulls out the keys of death and hell, conquering king. And bringing the spoils with him, he turns right back around and gives to those he has captured by his grace gifts 
to serve him. And any Christian that is surrendered and any Christian that has any heart for God at all, God is going to begin to use you in ways that you could not believe and could not imagine. And for five years, I was not asked to preach anywhere except in our school chapel. Pastor I worked under, whenever he'd go on vacation, was gone. He'd never asked me to preach, not once. God knows how to get you where you need to be. Remember a pastor saying years ago as we were talking about somebody that we both knew, a student or a person that had gone to college with that was very successful in his first ministry. He said to me it almost ruined him. He said success is one of the worst things that can happen to kids that graduate from college. Bob Taylor said years ago when I first got to Indiana, I heard him preaching at a pastor's meeting, he said, a failure that humbles us is far better than a success that makes us proud. He was right. That failure humbled me. I wish it was my only. Not the failure in that I wasn't successful in preaching, but that I responded inappropriately. And God put me on a shelf as it was for five years. Knowing that God had called him he now is brought to a place where he must trust God as he surrenders his troops to God. Those that are fearful that go home and ultimately ends up with 300. And God says to him one more time, he says, Gideon, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. But if you're still fearful, I think this is a really important principle. I don't know if you'd be willing to raise your hand. You're afraid I'm going to give the invitation right now. I'm not going to, so you can raise your hand if you want to. But how many of you have ever gone out on visitation were just a little unsettled, a little scared, a little queasy? And the ones that aren't raising your hand, you've never gone out on visitation. <laughs> Thank you for that admission. Did you know it's okay to be honest with God? Did you know it's okay to admit to him your sense of inadequacy, your fears, your uneasiness, or your pride or your arrogance? Say, Gideon, if you're still afraid, go see what they're saying. And so he goes and somebody's just had a dream and his fellow tent mate says, that's nothing but Gideon. We're whooped. Now, please understand, it's not always going to be through the unsaved that you're going to be reassured, but God will reassure you if you're honest with him. Through the promises of his word, through a fellow servant, through a pastor that puts his hand on his shoulders. Just last week, I got an email from somebody that I preached a message at a senior, junior, senior banquet. He sent me an email 28 years later and said, that message impacted me. I'm getting ready to preach it this Sunday. Thank you. I didn't know at the time that it helped him. But you will be encouraged. Some message, some comment, some observation. And you'll suck in your breath and you'll 
puff out your chest a little bit and say, you know what, I think I can do this one more day. It matters when you tell your Sunday school teacher you appreciate them. It matters when you tell your preacher you appreciate them. It matters when you tell your fellow servants that you appreciate It matters. You have no idea how Satan's attacking them. You don't know what fears are in their heart, what uncertainties are consuming them, what lies Satan has just told them. It matters. And Gideon went and he heard. And he comes back in verse 15. I love it. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, the interpretation thereof that he first of all worshipped, that's good, and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. He's now saying what God has clearly said four times. He's now quoting the promises of God to his fellow man. And they, what are they thinking? Jump up and follow him. Oh, you, you young people, even children in your teen, if you ever got a hold of it, if you ever got a hold of what you could be and what you could do for God, if you just start by serving other people, learn the presence of God, learn the power of God, learn the peace of God, learn that God is capable of protecting you. Learn that God's spirit can actually move in your heart. One of the things that I look for in our young people, and I teach this even to our elementary chapel now, the importance of the spirit of God in our lives. Years ago, I remember one of my high school students coming to me about three weeks after I'd taught about the Holy Spirit. He said, you remember what you said in Bible class three weeks ago? Uh, actually, no, I don't. <laughs> he said, well, instead of getting your heads together and Screaming and hollering and getting your adrenaline going just before you play a basketball game and go, we're going to get him. Get off in a corner and get right with God and see if it makes a difference. He said, I did that and it did. He then threw, flew three missions, or not three missions, but he served three um, stints for our military flying helicopters. I'd rather fly with him than somebody got in a circle with his teammates and went, ooh, 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 ooh. He learned that the Spirit of God was real. And so Gideon goes with his 300 men, faint yet pursuing. When we know God, there's few things that will really stop us. Oh, the devil will try. But we can go back to those milestones in our life. Those times when we got rid of the gods in our father's house. Those times when we just served somebody out of a heart of love or compassion and God showed up and blessed us as a result of it. Those times that the Spirit of God moved on us and we responded and we saw the potential. And those times when we got alone with God and said, God, I got to know what you want. Those times when he, we saw God whittle us down to nothing and we had no resources and no health and no strength. And God said like he did to Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And those times when we were reassured, when we were still fearful. And so we continue one more day, one more week, one more time, one more mission for King Jesus. 
gifted by him, empowered by him, called by him, directed by him, and faint yet pursuing. We pursue the enemy that Christ has already promised the gates of hell will not prevail against. His church. So I'm asking you tonight, which one of these speak to you? If you wrote them all down, there were technically seven choices that Gideon made. You're probably not going to respond to all of them. But there possibly is some point in the message where God spoke to you. Simple, obedient service. Quit making excuses because of time and finances, lack of energy. Step out and trust God. Destroy the gods in your father's house, things in your life that are still holding you back. Because they're idols that take priority over God. Respond when the Spirit of God moves in your heart. If you know you've not been doing that, respond tonight. Get alone with God and find out what he really has for you. And let him give to you as he sees fit and take away from you as he desires that you might learn. It's God that's doing it, not you. And if you're still afraid, let God reassure you. And take that reassurance as from God. And get after it. College students, get after it. Quit playing around. Get after it. Moms and dads, let's get after it. I'm preaching to the choir in some regards, but I'm saying, we are too casual about the opportunity of serving God and seeing him do amazing things. 135,000 Midianites, 15,000 got away, and Gideon said, not a chance. God said he was going to destroy them as one man. I'm going after him. And you all know the story that the rest of Israel did rise up and join him then in that battle as the enemy began to flee. So many people will be impacted by you if you'll choose tonight to let God do what he wants to do in your heart.